Turn to Psalm 27. This is a joyful psalm. Again, a psalm of David. A psalm that exhorts us and encourages us to to strength, to courage, to encouragement. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I often find myself faced with difficulty as I preach through the Psalms because on the one hand, uh, things just don't seem the same today as they were at the time of David. Uh, And yet on the other hand, we know that things really are the same, so it's hard sometimes to bring to bring that to, to bring those two things together, right? I mean, we don't have in the United States kings. 
it, it feels very different to have a president than to have a king. Um, we, we are not in an era where a lot of the things that were common at that time are common today. So sheep and shepherds and the whole agrarian basis of society. These are things that are objectively very different today, right? Of course, there are still sheep. Of course, people are still growing our food, but I think it's down to like 1.4% of people as opposed to 98.4% or something. I'm pulling that number out of thin air, right? You know, <laughs> Most people were involved in making food at the time that this was being written and growing food one way or another. Um, so things have changed. And so sometimes when you read the Psalms, it can feel like a disconnected world. It can feel like it doesn't apply real easily to us. And so that can be a challenge for us. It certainly is a challenge for me as I prepare to preach. But we need to remember that in many ways, things are not different. Things are not different. When we read in uh, the Old Testament that there is nothing new under the sun, and then you think about fast-forwarding through several thousand more years, right? And, you, and then uh, you, you do some reading of history from... 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and all of a sudden you see some of the same conversations happening, some of the same questions being raised, some of the same challenges popping up. All of a sudden you're like, hey, wait a minute. This is, this is really familiar. I've seen this yesterday, here, today, right? So let's not be disconnected from the text of scripture. Let's not treat it as so other, so foreign that it doesn't that it doesn't apply to our lives that we can't see the similarities, that we can't see the things that are the same. Now, we're going to get to to what some of those things are that are the same. But let's let's look at the beginning of this psalm. Let's just see how David frames this whole psalm. He starts by making it clear that he is relying completely on God. He is relying completely on God. He is his, God, he says, is his light. We don't have any external windows in here. If we turned off the lights and the projector, we would not see in here, right? There would be no light, and what would it be like? Well, there'd be a lot of screaming, I'm guessing. Uh, (laughs) But why? There's a reason kids are scared of the dark. Right? And it's not probably because they've learned that walking through the house in the dark is a recipe for 
kicking the coffee table with your shin, although that's something that we do tend to learn eventually, having tried it, right? When you don't have light, you don't know what's going on. You just don't know what's going on. And that's scary to not have any idea what's going on. And you can't figure out where to go. In this room, it wouldn't be too bad for us to get out of here with the lights off. Light would leak in. We'd be able to see some. But if you've ever been in a cave and had the lights turned out completely, no flashlights, no glowing things, it is actual pitch black. And if you don't have a light and you've gone in, down into a cave, you're not getting out. There is no way of escape without a light. So just at, this, just at the, the very first verse, the very first words, the Lord is my light, think about how important light is for living. You can't do it without light. As a matter of fact, we need light so badly that if you do go down into a cave and if you do turn off the lights, do you know what happens? Your brain makes up light. You start seeing things that aren't there. Lights. You'll think that you're seeing. You're not. But your brain can't handle absolute pitch darkness. It needs light. We need light. And so when David starts off by saying, the Lord is my light, it's a big, big declaration. He is that reliant on God. It is that necessary for him to have the Lord. Of course, he goes on to say he is his salvation, which we know, I hope each of us in here, uh, the need that we have for salvation. We know our own sin. We know that it deserves God's wrath. And later on in the psalm, David appeals to the Lord and says, do not turn me away in your anger. Right? Why would, why would God turn us away in his anger? Because he has every right to be angry, because he hates our sin and we are sinners. And so for David to say, he is my light, he is my salvation... If your physical life is impossible without light, your eternal life is impossible without salvation. That's the basis for David's psalm from, from here on out. That's the starting point. And after that, everything has that as its context. God is that necessary. God is that important for me, for my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. This is one where it can start to feel a little bit foreign to us until all of a sudden you have an enemy. And then all of a sudden you think, you know what? I like having a defense. 
until all of a sudden there's a false accusation. And then you think, I'm glad I have a defender. And you know what? Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. If you have no enemies, no man, no woman, no child attacking you, that's a wonderful gift. Praise God for it. But Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, therefore, having the Lord as a defense is very, very important. David starts with these three things and then he gives the, 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 the having, having God as your light, having God as your salvation, and having God as your defense is all well and good, but is he a bright light? Is he an effective salvation? Is he a strong enough defense against Satan, against enemies, against temptations? You, you see, all of, all of those things are very important, but then comes the necessary question, is he going to do a good job at it? David doesn't even, doesn't even give... Uh, Credence to the idea that, that's, that it's possible God would do a bad job at those things, does he? He says, Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? By implication, what he's saying is not just that God is his light and his salvation, his defense, but that That is a perfectly, perfectly trustworthy defense. Perfectly bright, piercing the darkness light. A salvation that you can rely on. God is effective in doing his work. And therefore, David asks the question, whom shall I fear? And the answer that he is implying here, of course, is, kids, who should you fear? Not Satan. Nobody. It's confusing, isn't it? (laughs) He's looking at his dad like, really? Not when God is on your side. Yeah. Not when God is on your side. If God is on your side, there is nobody to fear. There is nobody to dread. And if Satan's included in that list, then certainly evildoers on this earth are not to be feared, are not to be dreaded. Now, we will face enemies and trials in this life. We will face enemies and trials in this life. Some of you may have faced 
trials this week. Even enemies. Some of you, this may feel pretty foreign. One of those things that's hard to wrap your mind around to see it as applicable apropos today. But the people of God have been told explicitly that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? So we know that there will be persecution for God's people. But but let's take a step back from that. What about people who do not follow God? Are there trials, are there tribulations, are there enemies for them? Everybody who lives on earth faces trials. Everybody who lives on earth has enemies in some way, shape, or form or another. I watched Hamilton for the first time this week. I guess it only just came out on so that I could. Uh, and it's, it's shocking the degree to which you, you see in, in that show, in that movie, uh, enmity, enemies. Um, the Founding Fathers, you know, you think of the Founding Fathers as a monolithic united entity a lot of the time, right? They established the nation together, working together. But in, but in point of fact, uh, there were the Federalist Papers and there were the Anti-Federalists, right? <laughs> so even from the very beginning of this nation among men that you think of being on the same side, even in the same party at that time, you see there being enemies. Some of those men were Christians, some of them were not. Regardless, they had enemies. Trials. Trials in this life. Let's start with the one that we do our best to pretend doesn't exist in the United States today, but that God is uh, forcing us day by day right now to consider death. To what degree do we actually live in the midst of death? It's a big question right now. Our country has done its best to remove death from the public eye, remove any reminders that we are mortal from in front of people's eyes. Even funerals have become celebrations of life instead of funerals. But when you come to facing death, that is a trial 
that everybody goes through, whether they are a follower of God or not. So we will face enemies. We will face trials in this life. People that we trust and love will abandon us and sell us out. And then, as the people of God, in some ways, it gets even worse. We face more difficulties in some ways. Persecution. There is no promise from God that unbelievers and people who don't follow him will be persecuted. Right? So wait a minute. Why are we following God again? Is this a good deal? I was teaching the kids earlier. I tried to explain to them, you know, good deals and bad deals. Will you trade your Tesla for this piece of dog poop? No. That's a bad deal, right? And the temptation that we face as Christians, recognizing that there are particular temptations, particular trials, particular enemies that come upon us precisely because we are following Jesus, is to think, hey, this is a bad deal. I'm not sure why I signed up for this. This is the seeds that fall on the rocky soil and spring up quickly, but there's no root. Or it's the seeds that fall among the thorns and thistles and are, and are choked out. Right? The cares and worries of the world. To some degree, it's both of those things. But to think, wait a minute. There's troubles that come. There's trials. There's, there's enemies that I have that I wouldn't have if I had just done what I wanted in life. We see this with Paul describing the nature of the law. The law comes in and sin increases. All of a sudden, it's, it's even harder to be holy. You see this when uh, Satan does his best to make you stumble, the more righteous you are, the more intense he attacks. You see this also in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that we are of all men most to be pitied if there's no resurrection. If there is no resurrection... We've taken a bad deal. That's what he's saying. If, he, if there is no resurrection, we have taken a bad deal. But although obedience is hard, and even harder in the face of a world that despises you and your God, despises your obedience, despises the fact that you're making them look bad. Although all of those things are true, the fact of the matter is that 
we're getting the Tesla. That's the direction of the trade. You understand? We're getting the Tesla, and that's because there is resurrection. And that's because all we bring is filthy rags. We receive eternal life. We receive salvation. So David relies fully on the Lord. He talks about enemies. You can't read the Psalms without reading about enemies. And he just returns over and over to this theme that he's not going to fear, that his enemies are going to lose, that he's going to seek God. He's going to seek God. Why? Well, because God is his light. So he's going to go to the light. Why? Because God is his salvation. He is going to run to his Savior. Why? Because God is his defense. Oh, that's where you go when you're under attack. The place where there's defense. So don't don't look at this as all foreign. We see we see the we see the description that David is painting. We see the description that, that Paul paints. Both of them are talking about this trade. Both of them are talking about whether or not it makes sense to follow God or not. And in some sense, life is easier for the wicked. They get fat and wealthy, like uh, we read about in Ecclesiastes. You, You see... All sorts of temptations to think, hey, you know, that broad and, and path, that, that, that broad and, what am I, is there another word that goes with that? I'm, I'm forgetting it. <laughs> the path that leads to destruction is broad and many are on it. And it's attractive. It's easy. It's a nice, easy downhill slope the whole way. We went down to Tennessee and went on a 17-mile bike ride a couple summers ago called the Creeper Trail with uh, five kids at the time, two of them in a trailer, 17 miles. No problem. The trail was broad and downhill. They drive you up to the top of the mountain. You just coast down. It was easy. That's what, the, that's what the path that the world is on is like. Now, this is not to say that God's world is set up to reward the wicked. It's not. They are not satisfied. 
They are not satisfied. They get the things that we're tempted by, yes. That we're tempted to worship, yes. But they are not satisfied. And they don't have any salvation. They have no light. And when the light comes, we read in John, it was rejected. The light was rejected. They love the darkness. Over and over again in this psalm, we see it. A host encamps against me, my heart will not fear. War rise against me, I'm going to be confident. And then what? Then he returns to seeking the Lord. We know what he has said God is to him, and so he says, I'm going to run to him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to be in his house. I'm going to be in his tabernacle all the days of my life. I'm going to behold the beauty of the Lord. I'm going to meditate in his temple. These are the things I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself to seeking him. I'm going to give myself to running after him. I'm going to give myself to living in that light. I'm going to give myself to that while enemies are coming. Why? Because I'm confident. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. If the Lord is your strength, if he is your defense, what better place to be when the breakers come? Right? You want to be up on the rock. A lot of the time we, we, do the, we do the equivalent of like, okay, tide's going out. The, 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 the waves aren't crashing on me right now, so let's see how far we can get away from the rock before the waves come back in. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about, Right? <laughs> What does, that, what does that look like? What does that mean? It means I don't feel like I need God right now. I don't feel any immediate pressing need for God right now. I don't have any immediate like, need to cry out to God, help! And so I'm just going to do what I want for a while. That Broad, easy path is looking mighty fine, so I'm going to walk over there for a while. Thankfully, God sends the waves again. Thankfully, he calls us back to himself. Thankfully, he comes running after us and seeks us. Thankfully, he grabs us and lifts us up and puts us on the rock. And then our head will be lifted up above our enemies around us. And what will we do? We'll celebrate. Lift up shouts of joy. We'll sing. 
We'll sing praises to the Lord. And then we'll forget tomorrow and we'll run out because the tide is going out again. Not because we're supposed to, you understand. Not because David is advocating that, but because I know how I am. I know how you are. I know the repetitive nature of our sin. And this is why when we see in verse 9 this appeal, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. It's like, look, you've been there for me. You've saved me in the past. I know there's a good reason for you to be angry at me now. Please no. Please no. Don't forsake me. Don't turn me away. Don't turn away yourself. Don't abandon me now. You are the God of my salvation. Now here is where there is a promise elsewhere in the Bible that is so so very encouraging. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Or we can just keep reading in this psalm. <laughs> My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. You, you know the story of the prodigal son who goes running off, right? And what does he do? He gives himself over to all sorts of sin. He, he, he's attacking his dad. He's made an enemy of his dad. And he's been as insulting as it can get, basically. Dad, I wish you were dead, and now I'm going to pretend like you are dead. See ya. That's what the prodigal son says. And so, when he returns, how many earthly fathers would actually do what the father does in that story? Some may. Others I know would not. Would not receive back their son, no matter if he was repentant, would not take him back even as a servant, would not even talk to him. But what does God do? Though your father and your mother might might forsake you, the Lord will take you up. Teach me your way, O Lord, And lead me in a level path because of my foes. You need a level path when you've got foes. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, tried any sort of martial arts. You don't ever do it on a rough surface, do you? 
let's remove that from the equation. We'll be on a flat mat when we're practicing this. Maybe you've had a dream, a nightmare, where you're being chased and you can't run because you've got something that keeps grabbing your feet. A level path, absolutely necessary, isn't it? Now, David asks for a level path because of his foes. He pleads with God not to deliver him over to the desire of his adversaries. Speaks again of the enemies, describes them as false witnesses, men breathing out violence. And then what does he, he say? Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless I, had believed, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, then what? Well, the translators supply the, I would have despaired, to give you some feel for, for what that sort of phrasing means. Starting off a sentence like that, unless I had believed, it means it would have been, we would have been done for. But it's left, it's actually left out of the, of the original. I would have despaired, we would have been done for, it would have been hopeless. There was, there, there would, there would be nothing left. It would have been the end of me unless I had believed, unless I had remembered that the goodness of the Lord will be mine, and I will see it in the land of the living. Now, I want to stop right there as we get to the end and just say, even if you have not, are not currently facing any immediate enemies, any feeling of earthly being able to connect this to your life, and that may be the case for a lot of you kids. Even if you don't feel that immediate connection to David with you know, men who are desiring to commit violence on you or who are lying about you, okay? Even if, even if you don't feel that, I want you to remember when that day comes, and it will come, that you're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, even in this life, what we receive from the Lord is more than we have given up. Remember that temptation to think that it's a bad trade. It's not a bad trade. Even in this life, in the land of the living, we receive better from the Lord than if we were living sinful lives. And so as he closes...
he stops talking about himself and he turns to all of us, everybody who's reading it, and he gives us this exhortation. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Saul was not willing to wait for the Lord. He was not willing to wait for the prophet to come. He was not willing to wait for the Lord. He took things into his own hands because he had no courage and he was not strong. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What does that mean for us? It means whatever difficulties, whatever enemies, whatever trials come your way, you are to face them by faith. Not take things into your own hands. Not try running to find some other way of dealing with the problem. Now listen. The ways that we run to something besides God to deal with the problem are numerous. Okay? I'm just going to give a few examples as we end. We run to food to deal with our problems. We run to things that make us feel good temporarily, right? Some people run to sugar. Some people run to not having sugar. You understand what I'm saying? They'll use that as the thing that they're putting their hope in. If I just find the right diet, that will take care of my problems. We run to doctors. Some of us run to lawyers. Some of us run to sexual immorality, to pornography. Some of us run to games. Some of us run to sleep. Some of us run to... uh, Laziness and sloth just because it feels good. Some of us run to work. If I just work harder, if I just, if I just do more. David says, wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Today, many, many people run to the government. The government is their hope and their salvation for the future. Is there any question, is there any doubt about whether or not the government is going to be able to save you? (laughs) It's laughable, right? It's laughable. The government can't save you. The government can't provide for you. 
neither can you provide for yourself. Neither can your own wisdom save you. Okay, let's, let's keep those things in mind as we think about the government, as we think about ourselves, as we think about our own wisdom, which we can't, can't avoid thinking about those things today, right? Here we are. The government's going to save us? Our hope is in the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. He made coronavirus. Be strong. Take courage. Put your faith and hope in him. Wait on him. And that includes not just waiting on him with regards to coronavirus. It also means wait on him with regard to this government. And any persecution that comes. Let's pray.